there's a lot of people who like don't really understand the impact that liquid staking or MEV or like the combination of these things together is going to have. Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research, the show hosted by analysts for analysts, where we dive deep into the crypto ecosystem. Uh, this show is made possible thanks to our incredible sponsors, Chainalysis and Flipside. Today, we have a great interview with two authors from the Adam 2.0 white paper, Sam Hart and Yusuf Amrani. Uh, given that the 2.0 proposal didn't pass and failed with a no with veto uh, in, in governance, uh, that we know we want, there's a huge discussion around um, you know, where the Cosmos Hub is today, what the vision is for the future, and how, uh, how the uh, protocol proceeds from here. So we have a great discussion with that, but before we get into it, uh, we're joined by Zero X Pibbles and Westy from the BWR uh, research team here to discuss all the market happenings. My friends, how are you? Doing well, man. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. It's been a ton of craziness to talk about, right, with the, the unwind of the FTX and uh, the subsequent uh, contagion that spilled out of that. You know, I feel like we could have a whole podcast episode uh, doubling down on all the information we've seen since just last week. Uh, but we do have a pretty long in, uh, interview today uh, with the Adam 2.0 guys, so I want to kind of jump right into Hot Seat Cool Throne, uh, and I feel like we're going to hit a lot of the, uh, the hot news in the past week during this session anyways. So, uh, Sam, you want to start us off? Yeah, for sure. For the hot seat, I've got Bill Ackman. He's a prominent TradFi investor, and he was tweeting about uh, uh, HNT, which is Helium's token, and touting a partnership with Limebike, but it wound up being a, a fake partnership, so obviously he wasn't super well-informed. And then Helium's moving to Solana, and obviously we've talked about Solana a lot in the past uh, couple episodes, and, and they're struggling a lot. And he also deleted a quote tweet um, praising SBF for taking responsibility on the whole situation. So that was absolutely brutal. It's it's rough to see these big names just kind of like acting like they know what they talk about when they, they really don't know what they're talking about. So Bill Ackman got the win there for me. Yeah, Helium's like the perfect protocol that sounds nice on paper. And so, you know, when someone brings that up as a great example of crypto that they have no idea what you're talking about, because when you dive in deeper, I think, well, the revenue numbers for last year for like, were like $6,000, like something ridiculously low. And so it sounds good on paper, like having um, 5G, like anywhere you want in the world and anyone can set up their own device. Like it seems awesome in theory, but then when you actually look at the 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 money involved, it's not, not very good at all. I actually have um, the Helium V2, which is Hive, Mac, Hive Mapper. It's the dash cams. Um, I ordered one of those, so I'm going to be putting it in my car and driving around from back helium. What's the uh, what's the lead time on those? Like, I'm curious if you've received it yet. Nah, I, I want to say I ordered that thing like February or March. I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. It'll be here by 2025. <laughs> okay, that's that's about what I expected. Westy, who you got in the hot seat this week? Yeah, this week I got. I guess Shark Tank crypto players. And so the first guy I have to call out is Kevin O'Leary, who was um, pretty, pretty big into crypto and a big investor into FTX. Um, and then this past week, after the entire FTX collapse, he's actually been helping Sam Bankman fried raise money um, for FTX right now and was was asked like if he were to do another venture, would you... Uh, help fund him then and he said yes as well which is absolutely wild given all that ftx has done given that all the equity that he put into it went to zero like it just spells uh disillusionment and it's just not good to see 
um, that anyone's helping SBF at this point. Uh, and then Mark Cuban this week, there was a bot on Twitter that picks up the people that he follows and unfollows, and it found him basically spam unfollowing any crypto account he followed before, like Uniswap, um, any other protocol, etc. And so we're seeing capitulation from him, despite him being a pretty big bull in the, the bull run. I know he was on Bankless for an episode, really an ETH bull as well. And so, yeah, seeing capitulation from one of the most outspoken investors in the world is, uh, I guess, a good sign for bottoming, but we'll see. Yeah, that's pretty cringe. You hate to see someone chasing their bags to zero, and that sounds like exactly what uh, Kevin O'Leary's doing. How about you, Pibbles? Who you got? Yeah, my hot seat is UXD Protocol. They were a Delta neutral stablecoin on Solana that saw like zero adoption. Prominent investors included Alameda, Multicoin, CMS. Um, they actually had a token unlock on November 14th. And the price plummeted from like 1.8 cents to 0.007, basically overnight. And what's funny is they raised like a a fair launch. It was $16 per token after launch. So they, they just like cash grabbed a ton of money from people building out the future of DeFi on Solana. Turns out seed investors got it for 0.003. So they're still a little over a two times right now. But the sweetest part of it is, so it was 460 million tokens were circulating before the cliff unlocked. And then they just injected 1.1 billion more tokens. So it just freaking like the market cap is more now than before the unlock, even though the price tanked. And the best part about it all is Basically, the biggest MEV trade on Solana happened on November 17th, and we don't know who it was, but it was clearly one of the seed investors, and they tried to dump like $700,000 worth of tokens and got slipped to hell, like 98% slippage or something, and it got eaten up. So they actually took a major L there, which is, I don't know, it's kind of sweet karma. I hope it was... I can't say who I hope it was, but you know that's you love to see that. You have these venture investors who think they know everything about crypto and they put on this this huge front and they don't know how an AMM works. And then they go in there, try to dump their tokens, which they're supposed to be good at, and they just got wrecked. So UXD, bad project. Yeah, since the start of this uh, podcast, we've had the uh, the hot seat has been very unkind to Solana, its its uh, figureheads in and around the protocol, as well as the protocols themselves built on top of it. So if the day ever comes where we see Solana in the cool seat, uh, it'll be a very interesting change of pace, and it'll it'll feel like we've come a long way uh, since the start of this podcast. That's for sure. Dan, who you got in the hot seat this week? Uh, the hot seed for me spills out of this FTX drama and the uh, the ensuing contagion. So uh, GBTC arbors are in the hot seat for me. This was like the the touted solid trade of buying GBTC shares and shorting Bitcoin just to capture that arb. Uh, you know, it was trading at like a mid to low double digit discount um, when this kind of started becoming like a really popular trade and you know highly talked about on CT. Uh, today, the the discount is down to 45%. Uh, so 
massive uh, swing there, and it's uh, a little bit painful to see that that trade still coming alive, uh, especially because you know. Uh, so we see we saw Genesis in the news last week, the end of last week. Uh, they paused their earn program, they paused withdrawals, and there seems to be a balance sheet issue there. So the parent company, uh, Digital Currency Group (DCG). I uh, was rumored to be on like a, a, a pushing a raise to try to get some capital for them. Um, and there's also been about one billion dollars of authorized repurchases from uh, GBTC's. Uh, so the company that started GBTC is Grayscale and Grayscale's parent company is also DCG. Um, and so if they have a rough if they've executed all of their uh, authorized purchases, they'd own roughly about a billion dollars of GBTC. And so uh, Nick Carter actually had a great, uh, a great pitch on this. Of you know, well, here's an easy way to solve the GC, DCG's balance sheet problem. Is you know, say Grayscale said, all right, in two months' time, or sorry, about two years' time, let's say uh, GBTC was eligible. You could take one share of GBTC and redeem uh, at at NAV, or you know, maybe take cash on delivery at the same uh, net asset value, um, and that would actually like. Since GBTC, or excuse me, since DCG owns such a large portion, around a billion dollars of GBTC, uh, it would make a ton of sense for them to say, "Hey, if this like, let's help close this ARB, and then um, you know maybe that would give us the potential to solve this hole in our balance sheet, uh, while also you know benefiting the broader market." Uh, so yeah, it's been a terrible trade for a while, but you know it seems like the the we're going to get a resolution here. Um, you know, how that gets resolved will be interesting, but uh, it's a bad day for the GBTC, GBTC arbors that started back at a, you know a ten percent discount to see that get blown down to forty five. Yeah, that's a funny proposal from Nick Carter too. It kind of reminds me of STETH, how it's going to be redeemable in probably a year to two years for the underlying ETH at stake. So kind of funny to see Nick Carter being a proponent of a, a current uh, mechanism in DeFi already. But uh, in terms of uh, Cool Throne, we can get over to that section now. I've got Lens Protocol. They are seeing highs in daily active users. There's no token incentives yet, so it seems to be somewhat organic. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who are trying to game a potential future airdrop, but for those who aren't aware, Lens is basically the back end of decentralized social media, and anyone can kind of build a front end for it. So it's going to be really cool to keep watching that and see if uh, we can actually transition to like a decentralized social media that everyone can kind of own a piece of and not be monetizing their own data to the likes of meta or twitter um yeah so they're definitely on my cool throne this week uh any thoughts yeah i think that makes a lot of sense especially when you saw like all the teams stepping down at twitter and then the rumor that like twitter was just about to like quit working it's like well we got lens i think there's huge irony around like uh, you know, we saw, oh, this is the end of Twitter. Um, but in reality, you know, like Elon's been tweeting about how Twitter's been doing record numbers recently. And it's like, is the threat that firing 90% of your staff will break, uh, will break Twitter? Or is the threat to everybody else who, you know, sees Twitter working with 90% uh, smaller of a workforce? So that's, uh, de I definitely don't own that quote. Uh, I saw it somewhere on Twitter, but totally blanking who it was. But it was a great perspective, right? That just totally shifts like what we what we think we know about uh, modern tech companies. I also think it's a very low probability that Twitter shuts down, although there were a bunch of rumblings about that. But even so, like think about all the conversation on Alpha that gets shared on CT. Like if that were to migrate to some decentralized social media with the token involved, like you could imagine that gets a lot of value um, if something like that were to go down.
Yeah, 100% agree. That's kind of my thought process for putting them on the cool throne this week. And it's also not a very easy week to try and pick out a cool throne uh, recipient here. So, Westy, I'll pass it over to you to, to give your take. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, my cool throne this week is uh, Flashbots. Um, so, essentially, they have, we've explored before how they have a really big sort of monopoly over the, the builder's market uh, in MVP Boost. And as a result, they they open sourced their relay at first, but they they found out that they still have the centralizing force. So they just recently open sourced their builder as well. And so that should help alleviate a lot of the concerns around censorship since Flashbots Relay has a majority of the blocks go through them and their block builder um, specifically builds blocks that are OFAC compliant. And so now that they open sourced their code for their block builder, which is often building the highest value blocks. Now we're going to see more people be able to get um, into that field. And I can imagine they open source their searchers as well. And so we're going to see a lot more diversification when it comes to MEV boost um, building in the MEV markets. So what does that mean for Manifold? Is Manifold just dead now that they open sourced everything? Um. Kind of. I don't know if that has to do with open sourcing, but I know SushiSwap is exploring other partnerships besides Manifold. Their token's down 90% in the past two months, and the the founder's kind of MIA at the moment, along with the fact that their relay was lying about like blocks, block rewards that were going through their relay, and so I think there's just super low sentiment on Manifold at the moment. Um, but in terms of block building, I mean... There, not a lot of blocks go through their relay anyway at this point, and so yeah, they're I wouldn't call them dead, but it's not looking good for Manifold. Yeah, I can go ahead and close this out then. Uh, I got Index Coop in the uh, in the Cool Throne. They actually are working. They actually posted a governance form a couple months ago, back in September, uh, to launch the Diversified Staked ETH Index. Which, uh, quick background on Index Coop is basically they create uh, on-chain on-chain strategies where users can hold one token that reflects uh, like a basket of goods on the back end. Uh, and so there's diversified staked ETH, or DSETH as they're calling it, will basically hold uh, a basket of staked ETH derivatives and then allow the user to just hold DSETH uh, and take like the combined risk profile uh, of the, the backing for like the, the staked ETH backing, right? So you could hold like Lido staked ETH, Rocket Pool ETH, uh, or like a stake-wise ETH or a frax ETH as well. Um, and then instead of, that would allow the user to not have to pick like, okay, maybe I'll use this backend technology, like whether that be, uh, you know, Lido, Rocket Pool, or any of the others. Uh, they, the user just gets to hold one asset that uh, is accruing the rewards uh, of the combined basket, which I thought it's a really cool idea to kind of like diversify away uh, some of that smart contract risk. I mean, I guess depend on how you look at it. Maybe you're introducing, but, uh, you know, the optionality of crypto is, is really one of its core components, and it's great to see uh, people innovating on, like, these, these basket good products. Does that work like our ETH where it um, automatically rebases? Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but in the original proposal, right, they did mention staked ETH and our ETH within the same basket, so I think that would definitely need some tech build-out on the back end, right, just because... Uh, of how those two pro pro the assets are themselves are constructed, like maybe you'd only have to hold baskets of rebasing tokens together. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That'll be interesting to to see how that goes. But this is this gives like a uh, 
you know, a nod to the Frax model, right? Where they broke apart the, the rebasing token and then like the stable coin pegged token, right? So they had like S Frax ETH, which actually accrues the rewards, uh, where just regular FRX ETH uh, is basically like a wrapped ETH. Um, so yeah, it, it gives, a, gives a little nod to that, that model at being like a little more uh, tangible and can work in different protocols, but I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work on the back end. Yeah, also reducing the slashing risk is probably a good thing. And then anytime you can make something more accessible to a wider group of people is, is always a positive. But Dan, I might have to throw you on my hot seat next week because you forgot Pibbles. We got to get Pibbles' take here. Yeah, so let me come in with the cool throne. I have titanium dollar, T1.money. Anyone who got in that early is just absolutely printing right now. Uh, TVL is about to hit 20 mil. Um, APY, single side staking, is at 18,000% annualized. And then if you bond that, it's at 63,000% annualized. By the time this podcast airs, it will have probably collapsed. But if you got in like pretty early, I mean, you're printing... It looks like 1% every 30 minutes. Each epoch is 30 minutes. So you have the greatest algo stable fork of all time. And you could just be sitting there on your ass making uh, generational wealth. I apologize for uh, forgetting about you there, Pibs. But I'm really happy you brought this up because I I found this on Friday and brought it up to Westy and Matt. And I let them talk me out of this by providing rational facts about why this is a terrible idea. Little did uh, I, I let myself realize, you know, it's maybe Ponzi seasons are back. Yeah, of course they're not good ideas, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be in them uh, at early points in, in the cycle. I mean, running the numbers, this is literally Olympus Dow on steroids. Like the supply is expanding at a ridiculous rate. There's probably one person with a very large amount of the supply that's just farming this and just waiting and waiting and waiting and will finally dump on everyone. And so eventually it'll collapse, but the question is sort of when, and obviously we timed it not very great, but I still think it'll definitely collapse pretty soon. The curve pool is really healthy right now. It's like 40% titanium money, and then it's like 30% tether, 10% die, 10% USDC. And they're sitting at like, I think like 4.5 mil TVL in that curve pool. So right now, it's pretty healthy, which means if we would have gotten in on Friday, we'd be sitting pretty and probably exiting right now. I will say using a stable swap was definitely super smart because it'll, it'll keep the prices in line for a lot longer than something like an XYK. So I'll tip my hat to that. If they really wanted to get carried away and thought they had some some uh, longevity in this Ponzi, they would have used the Frax base pool and uh, thrown back some incentives and really kept that flywheel kicking. Yeah, we're going to have to fork titanium and do it all with Frax. We'll run it back pre-sale on the Zero X Research podcast. I just like it, how you called it, T1.money. It sounds like a rapper name or something like that. That's definitely something I can get behind. Dan, you want to pull up the uh, flip side chart of the week for us? Yeah, so right now I'm looking at uh, some stats on GMX and Gains Network. And uh, as Westy pointed out last week in the, in the hot seat, these protocols have been absolutely dominating because of all the, the drama that's been happening with centralized exchanges and people wanting to custody their own funds. The charts show uh, uh, basically all-time high in the weekly number of trades. 
and then the weekly number of active users, the amount of volume. Um, so it's really impressive what these protocols are, are achieving in lieu of all the FTX Alameda drama. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see that kind of adoption uh, on the decentralized exchanges going forward. Flipside has some of the most comprehensive on-chain data in crypto to get you the insights you need to work smarter. You can instantly query the data yourself for completely free or even just browse other people's dashboards uh, to find some alpha and give you the edge that you need to win in trading. Check out Flipside's data for yourself and earn some USDC and complete ZeroX Research's exclusive bounty to earn up to $75 of USDC. It'll be linked in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. And then lastly, before we hop over uh, to our interview with Sam Hart and Yusuf Amrani, I just want to take a second to thank Chainalysis. You know, they're one of the leading crypto analytics providers uh, that help legitimize our industry, and they enable investors to track funds on chain with ease. They have great tools designed exactly for this purpose. Um, and they also offer some great research uh, that's free on their website. So if you're looking for uh, some market research, maybe DeFi research, uh, definitely check out Chainalysis. And we'll definitely put a, a link in the show notes uh, to make that a little bit easier on your behalf. Uh, but without further, th- further ado, I'd like to uh, you know, get ready and strap in for this awesome interview with, uh, with two of the Cosmos Hub core contributors. All right. Today, we're joined by uh, two co-authors of the Atom 2.0 white paper, Sam Hart and Yusuf Emrani. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, so I want to jump right into it. Obviously, the, the elephant in the room is last week's Prop 82 failing, which was basically signaling uh, the support for the 2.0 white paper that you two co-authored. And it failed as a result of one third of Adam voters voting no with veto. Um, no with veto allows, like I said, one third of voters to kill a proposal. Do you believe that's the intended use of the no with veto function? Yeah, so um, I can speak to this. Um, the Let me just give a little bit of background on the no with veto like, uh, architecture so um or the the voting architecture in general so you kind of understand what's happening with no veto so um the governance system the gov module in the cosmos sdk uh, which is common to all cosmos chains um has a um uh there's basically a quorum system so a server of uh certain amount of the staked assets need to vote in order for a proposal to be valid. And then of the staked tokens, um, if 50% or more um, is voting in favor, then the proposal will pass unless there is a veto in which um, uh, 33% or more of the the staked tokens, uh, sorry, of the voting tokens, um, are uh, voting no veto. Um, there's a couple options in in the voting module, so or in the gov module. Uh, yes, no, um, abstain, and no veto. So um, the you know to to now answer your question, like is you know, well, actually, before I before I even answer that question, what is the kind of intended use of no with veto? Uh, well, it's supposed to be a mechanism for uh, protecting minority rights effectively. So um, there's uh, a couple ways to come at this. Um, I've actually previously worked with a team, um, Haifa, who's also 
represented on on the paper to, to kind of like um, go through a, a kind of detailed um, semantics of of you know when to vote with no veto um, and the idea is basically like okay there's an, a minority population within the chain that strongly dislikes something um, and really feels that their interests are um, are uh, disproportionately being infringed upon. Um, I mean, you can analogize this to like voter disenfranchise disenfranchisement in you know U.S. electoral politics or something like uh, having making sure that minorities are enfranchised is like a really important important part of a legitimate voting process, and um, it's hard to achieve in a decentralized setting. So this is trying to uh, make sure that that a minority population is able to um, have an outsized voice. There's some challenges with implementing a, um, a mechanism that uh, is able to um, kind of enfranchise a minority population. And that is um, the creation of what's effectively a filibuster. So um, if a minority is able to um, to block proposals um, or block progress without um, kind of sufficient disincentive, then you end up with what looks very much like a filibuster in like the, the US Congress and, and Senate. And it, it's a you know, an impediment to, to progress. There's some debate as to the, um, you know, the, the value of that. Um, now I can finally answer your question, you know, was this uh, Noah veto used correctly? And um, I, there was certainly quite a bit of confusion around how this was supposed to be used. And I'd spent a long, long time discussing with different validators, like, you know, their decision making around it. And there's definitely a lot of confusion. Um, but I do genuinely think that a lot of people were using it correctly. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, a mechanism for people to, to express their interest, uh, or express their, their opinion. And, you know, a lot of people had some issues with the, the paper and, um, you know, decided to, to make that known. Um, so happy to talk about why. Yeah, that segues me into the next question. I'm, I'm curious, why do you think it was uh, rejected? Well, I can maybe uh, answer uh, this one. So I think there are a few elements. Uh, the first one being that the, the scope was very large of the paper. Uh, you know, we had a few core products uh, that were not uh, necessarily easy to understand. And so we got uh, a lot of feedback from uh, validators that it, it was just too big for, for one vote. Um, the second element uh, within the white paper, I would say, was that was uh, concerning for uh, uh, a lot of people, a lot of atom holders and uh, delegators and validators, was uh, the, the new uh, minting uh, that we wanted to... Uh, that, that was supposed to basically create and fund the treasury. So 
The issue was with the minting and the size of the, the minting. Um, Atom holders were scared to, to lose control. Um, they were scared that uh, we didn't have enough guarantees on the, on the future governance uh, of the treasury. And you know, there was also some concerns about uh, uh, the way we basically prepared that white paper. Um, some people said there was a lack of transparency, that, were, that we worked uh, kind of you know, in a closed uh, room. And so that was, I think, a big uh, uh, point that, uh, that hurt us. And, uh, and lastly, I think also there was a, a, a cultural gap uh, that was an issue uh, because it reduced inclusiveness, inclusiveness, sorry, uh, and some validators, uh, notably some from, for example, France or uh, North Korea, uh, they, they felt they were left out because of the, the language barrier. So I think that would, there were a few other elements, maybe Sam wants to uh, expand more on the other elements. I mean, just want to correct South Korean validators, not North Korean validators. Yeah, important distinction there. I appreciate that uh, explanation. And, and Sam, you mentioned that you had talked to a couple of the different validators. Like, do you know who was voting no on this proposal? And like, was it similar to the situation back in May on Prop 69, where you were trying to get Cosmwasm on the hub and then, you know, Jay Kwan kind of forced his, his number in there? Or is it a kind of a different setup this time around? Um, there's a lot of similarities. Um, J notably, Jay was also against this proposal. Um, and we can talk about the how Jay's influence and his relationship to some of the other core teams in a moment. But um, my assessment is that there was kind of two camps. Like one is a, a set of constituents that were were pretty kind of aligned with Jay or like just kind of respect his opinion, um, even though is kind of yeah and and that opinion you know is kind of swung to being opposed to the proposal at the end of the day um and then the other is is kind of the camp that um yusuf is is touching on which is basically people who um felt like it would, you know there's a lot of changes it was happening fast there was maybe um i mean it was like hard to digest felt like there there was some loss of control potentially and um uh you know there, there's potentially a couple like uh minor changes that they'd like to see to to make sure that it was really working in their best interest yeah i think that makes a ton of sense so i guess this you know now we, we reflect on like the situation and where we are right so adam 2.0 um you know it was a signaling proposal to really uh push forward what the white paper had, had laid out uh, and kind of signaled to the developers and the community like, hey, this is the direction that we're going to be building in. Uh, so the ultimate question really boils down to, uh, so, you know, you know, what's next? Where do we go from here? Uh, you know, it, there was four or five like really key elements within the proposal, right? So such as interchange security, liquid staking, uh, the economic engine uh, with the schedule and the allocator, as well as like the revamp mo uh, monetary policy for Adam. Uh, so, you know, is the process now to like take each of these into their own, 
into their own proposal and try to push them through uh, one at a time? And, and then is that like the best way to hone down and say, hey, like, all right, so let's take interchange for, or maybe let's take liquid staking, for example. What are the risks here? And like, do we push this through one at a time? Um, yeah, I guess that's is, is the next step really to push these things through one at a time. Yeah, I think uh, the proposed path going forward is basically to, uh, like you, you talked about, slice uh, the, the Atom 2.0 vision into uh, smaller uh, pieces. Uh, and so I think one important, one important thing to note is that uh, interchange security is going live uh, in, in January. So that's uh, almost done. And liquid staking is already available on, uh, on, on multiple uh, protocols in, in, in Cosmos. So it's really about uh, the two other pieces which, are, which constitute the, uh, the, the Atom growth engine which are uh, the allocator and, uh, and uh, the scheduler. So about the next steps, I think the, uh, we just like in the immediate term, uh, there is a discussion to increase um, the tax on, on, on staking rewards and to uh, direct them to the, to the community pool. So right now the tax is at 2%. Uh, and so there are discussions to increase that to possibly up to 15%. Probably it's going to be 10%, uh, we don't know yet. The proposal is not live yet, so it's just discussion on the, the forum, but that, that gives us an idea. Uh, so that would be, I think, the first step. And, uh, and the, the second step in the immediate term as well is to enable uh, interchange security because we need to whitelist it with governance as a feature. Uh, and then as soon as we have ICS whitelisted uh, uh, on governance, uh, there is a bunch of uh, subsequent proposals uh, for to whitelist each individual consumer chain. So right now I think we have like seven or eight that are confirmed. So we will need uh, an individual vote for each of those of those chains. And then in the immediate term, you know, once the community pool uh, is properly founded, uh, we can think about uh, uh, funding the allocator and the scheduler. So first, whitelist them, like have, you know, a, a proper uh, debate, uh, provide enough documentation, uh, financial projections on uh, the allocator and scheduler, and then, you know, go, go, uh, go on chain. So it's really mostly about uh, pacing uh, ourselves, pacing the 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 Atom 2.0 vision, and you know, in the meantime, also uh, ensure uh, better alignment with the uh, with larger validators prior to voting. Uh, and I think also one thing that is going to be critical that we can learn from what happened with Prop 82 is uh, is to reduce the, the the cultural gap to 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 foster more inclusiveness and and governance. So we're going to need a few maybe translations of uh, of the different uh, documentations and of the of the uh, the the on-chain proposal so i think that's what we're dealing with in the short to uh, to medium term the this like growth engine piece people you know there was very little resistance to to those ideas um just to summarize like the the main idea there is like the allocator um, there's two pieces, the allocator and the scheduler. The allocator um, is uh, 
basically an instrument for um, forming collateralized partnerships with other chains um, or or token projects, and um, and the that could take the form of like early investment. Um, uh, you could do something like a token swap where both of the the tokens are are locked up for a year in an LP together, so you're kind of mutually offering liquidity. Um, it's it's just kind of a general purpose system for for you know creating cooperative relationships between chains, and this is really like already a core idea to the Cosmos Hub. Like the Cos Cosmos Hub and Atom is the primary you know, it's the primary vehicle for funding the public goods in the entire ecosystem. Like, and, you know, everybody wants that to continue. So the the kind of core business of the hub, like needs to be ecosystem aligned. So that like, that's a, a hard requirement. Um, so yeah, that allocator basically like helps new chains grow and, you know, provides capital liquidity partnership. Um, and then the scheduler is is a kind of um, shared block space market, which we think is uh, you know again ecosystem aligned. Basically, the the business will grow as more chains are you know developing inter economic relationships with each other, and um, uh, you know it, it's also like a a pretty complex problem that. Um, we really think that there needs to be kind of like a diversity of solutions for and um, and it, a kind of fully on-chain, trust-minimized, secure solution um, seems like a, a good option for uh, for many chains to, to have kind of in their toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I kind of want to take the, uh, you know, just as you mentioned, the next steps forward for the Cosmos Hub itself is to kind of like take each uh, each element of this proposal and slice it up and, and kind of work through them one at a time. So that's exactly the approach I'd love to take uh, throughout the rest of this podcast. And so if we if we continue on with this this growth engine, right, the scheduler and the allocator, love the, the explanation you provided for both. Um, and the original uh, thought was to build these directly onto the hub. Uh, you know, is it does it still make sense to try to push forward that path or in that direction, or it to, in order to like uh, stick a little closer to the the credible neutrality theme, as some of the uh, community still really appreciates? Uh, does it make more sense to build uh, the scheduler and the allocator out into like their own consumer chains and and kind of uh, bring them to market in that way? The plan was always to have them as consumer chains. That was. Uh, it, it's not like specified in the paper. I mean, maybe we should have, but it it was you know the, the idea is like it shouldn't um, really matter for the core business proposition. Like it's a little bit of an implementation detail if it's like on a consumer chain or on the, the core. Um, obviously, it has significant security considerations that that go into that decision. But um, yeah, I mean the, it just makes more sense to, to build these on consumer chains at the end of the day like the it's easier you can iterate faster it's more secure like yeah that was kind of the plan from day one right and then you mentioned that there was no uh no real pushback from the community on the uh kind of like creating these things and implementing them uh into the cosmos hub right because this is you know the scheduler really helps align 
uh, the growth of the broader ecosystem uh, with the growth of the Cosmos Hub's revenue, uh, and the allocator kind of does, you know, works in the same direction, right? So this is kind of help, helping building out a more scalable way uh, for the Cosmos Hub to actually kind of sit, you know, in, at the helm uh, in, in the, in the interchain ecosystem. Uh, and so I'd love to dive a little deeper, if you don't mind, on the, on the scheduler itself. I just find, uh, you know, that, that whole landscape of cross-chain MEV so fascinating, and right? And so, and for the listeners, just a quick reminder, MEV is the profit uh, a privileged entity can extract or create by including, excluding, or reordering blocks, uh, which makes the right uh, to order these transactions in a specific block valuable. Uh, and so the interchain scheduler itself would create a marketplace for tokenized consumer consumer chain block space. So any uh, consumer chain that is uh, taking its security from the Cosmos Hub, uh, it would then have the ability to sell some of its block space in this marketplace. Um, and so ultimately, the way I view this is the this is like a way of uh, creating revenue off of consumer chains, right? So because uh, the scheduler can only, if I have this correct, you know, the scheduler only works for consumer chains. Uh, if you're not a consumer chain, then it doesn't have the ability to uh, sell the block space on this marketplace. Um, and, and so I just want to make sure we have that piece right. And if so, then, uh, you know, how, so the interchain security really does sit at the, the center of this whole growth plan. It's mostly correct. Uh, the only um, uh, thing that we need to, to, um, to specify is that at first it was supposed to be uh, consumer chains. So MEV for all the ICS consumer chains, but later on, if the product if we see that there is a strong product market fit, then we can expand that to any Cosmos chain that wants to uh, uh, to opt in in the system. So I can let uh, Sam, because he's more experienced in, uh, in the MEV space, answer the rest for the question. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it would be kind of including a specific module into your chain um, and making some some adjustments to like the the end block or, or something along those lines. So, um, you know, conforming to uh, to like a an interface that that allows you to, to interact with the the kind of central option. Um, yeah. So the like you said, that there's very little pushback on both of these systems. The scheduler. Um, it, th there is like market risk involved in this thing like the and I you know to be perfectly honest I think there were there were a couple people who expressed some you know confusion or you know concern largely just because um, there's just a lot of unknowns in the MEV market like it's just really really new um, and this is a pretty like radical proposition the kind of value proposition for these chains is like you can actually charge a premium on the block space and so you can you can get more money for the the space that's being offered than than you would otherwise you know just offering it in in your kind of fragmented you know, market on, on each chain. If you can't tell, we love data here at Blockroots Research. And Chainalysis, the leading blockchain analytics company, shares this passion with us. We use data to extract alpha and find the next thing coming in DeFi, but Chainalysis is doing the gritty work and building trust in blockchains. To onboard the next trillion dollars of capital into the industry, we need to grow safe consumer access to cryptocurrency and promote more financial freedom with less risk. 
Chainalysis has some of the most comprehensive and reliable data in the space, and they use this data to power a full suite of their solutions that can be utilized by industry professionals. Best-in-class training and certifications are also led by Chainalysis and some of the brightest minds in the space. If you haven't heard of Chainalysis, you got to check them out, and we'll link to them in the show notes. Can you talk a bit about what the MEV marketplace looks like, or the interchain MEV marketplace looks like today? You know, in the white paper, it discussed a lot about how uh, a lot of that takes place off-chain today, and it, uh, you know, in, within that as well, though, I know there's some different risks that that are the case when uh, this marketplace is off-chain. So I'd love to hear you kind of like dive a little deeper on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, the, if you actually look at MEV and Cosmos today, like the only player is Osmosis at today. So like there's a lot of kind of projection going on. Um, there's Osmosis pool to Osmosis pool, and then there's like Osmosis to to like centralized exchanges. Like those are the that is where MEV is happening. Um, but uh, of um, yeah, so the, and, and Osmosis, like, um, does not have uh, a lot of adoption. For, I, I believe there's, you know, no adoption of, like, third-party um, NEV relay services. So the, the two prominent ones in Cosmos are Skip and Mechtech. Um they the, so all of the the kind of MEV that's captured there is is just the kind of priority mempool like priority gas auction um, games. Uh, so yeah, we you have to do like a like think a couple steps ahead to like understand the you know what the market's going to look like and you know why something like this might capture value. The core assumption is that there will be chain-to-chain um, arbitrage opportunities and uh, and liquidations and, and such that um, that will be kind of critical and and will be kind of uh, contingent upon precise synchronization between those different domains and this is really what the you know, the core offering of, of the scheduler. You can basically schedule uh, the availability of block space on different chains um, in, a, in a way that kind of matches those up properly so that you can, you can capture a, an ARB, for instance. Right, yeah. And, you know, uh, a lot of MEV opportunities uh, we see like in, in other landscapes, such as Ethereum, a lot of those are generated uh, from DeFi to DeFi protocols, right? And so, uh, that does make sense that like Osmosis would be the one that's kind of like leading the market in MEV creation today. And, you know, with things like Mars Protocol coming to the ecosystem, uh, you know, a lending protocol built uh, in and around the, the Osmosis ecosystem. Uh, yeah, it does make sense that the, the bets that would be make that make sense to place is right. We'd see an increase in MEV opportunities uh, as more of these DeFi applications make their way into the cosmos. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to kind of change directions a little bit and uh, um, kind of talk a little bit about liquid staking. You know, 
it sounded like a lot of the contention, or maybe not a lot, but a good portion of the contention around Atom 2.0 and what's next really came uh, centered around this liquid staking and, and doesn't make sense for uh, the Cosmos Hub to create an in-house solution. Uh, and so I'd love to hear about why that some of that pushback was there and you know if the presence of liquid staking in, in the Tenement uh, proof-of-stake blockchains kind of changes the, the risk assumptions with the chain. Yeah, I mean, this is another one where it, it, it's, it's tough. Like, I, I'd stand behind, like, pretty much everything that's in the, the Atom 2.0 paper, but I do feel like we were kind of thinking five steps ahead, and there's, there's a lot of people who, like, don't really understand the impact that liquid staking or MEV or, like, the combination of these things together is going to have. So, like, I'd, I spent a lot of my time just, like, trying to educate people on, like, the basics of liquid staking and, and the impact that's going to have on the validator business. Um, so I, I, I do think, like, a, a lot of the reaction to the vote was really kind of like a there's a lot of things here that I don't, like, really understand and, like, I need more... I need more time to to kind of equip myself to, to even make the the decision. Um, liquid liquid staking is definitely one of those. I mean, I, um, I speaking to validators, like there are very very few that understand that one that liquid staking is going to happen. Just it's is already happening. Um, it's kind of imminent, and that it's going to impact their bottom line. Like this is not an Adam 2.0 thing. It's just like there are multiple liquid staking protocols that are at some phase of deployment and that is going to make staking rewards go down. Um, so uh, that's like just not well socialized at this stage. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're kind of like watching validators like you know, go through that thought process like in real time during the vote, and it was kind of interesting. Um, so, uh, I mean, in my view, liquid staking is you cannot liquid staking. All you can do is kind of internalize it into the protocol and try to, you know, make sure that it's as risk mitigated as possible. And um, so what you're referring to is like, uh, I believe the addition of the liquidity staking module on the hub, um, is that right? Um, yeah, there, so there's this module that was de developed by Occlusion and um, it basically allows a, a staker today uh, to um, forego the unbonding process, the 30-day or 21-day rather unstaking process, and directly convert into uh, a delegation share. So it's a, a fungible token, semi-fungible token that's specific to the validator that you're staked to, and um, uh, and then those tokens can be combined. Uh, by a third-party provider like Stride or Lido or Quicksilver, and 
you know, pooled and and a, one can issue a share of those equivalent to the number of underlying tokens, that is the liquid staked asset. So that would be like ST atom or whatever. Um, and in my view, uh, and in addition to that, there's a, a kind of safety mechanism incorporated into the LSM module, which is uh, what we call exemption. So it means that the validator, um, so there, basically there's a, a cap on the amount of um, staked assets that um, the validator can, or there's a cap on the amount of assets staked to a specific validator that can be issued as a um, as a delegation share, and that uh, that cap is a function of the amount of self-bonded or exempted tokens that the um, that the validator is electing to to exempt. Um, and the main purpose of this is just to solve a principal agent problem between the, um, so that the validator has skin in the game. Um, and, uh, you know, so there, there are kind of like intrinsic interested parties that, um, that you, know, you can use to kind of backstop the system. So uh, without something like that, it, in my view, liquid staking is, uh, kind of in, in all ways, like m more harmful and more dangerous. Um, so it basically allows for uh, immediate interconvertibility, inter which is important to make sure that the, the um, price discrepancy between the, the underlying and the liquid staked asset is kept in line. And this, um, you know, this uh, principal agent system that make sure that there is a, a kind of backstop actor. Right. So the idea, I guess, is then to kind of, you know, because we see a lot of other uh, solutions coming to market now, you know, we have Stride that's alive, uh, you know, Lido is discussed with Quicksilver as well to come in and, and provide like those staked assets. Um, and so I, I guess, is, I guess my question would be, you know, is the idea of putting uh, the LSM directly on the hub then to like, I guess the, like, right, it changes like how the risk assumptions break down. But, uh, you know, given that it foregoes that uh, staking period, uh, would the idea then for like Stride, let's say, to depot, like use the, the LSN themselves, or is this only for, uh, you know, individual users or validators themselves? Um, so I guess an important thing to understand is that, um, the, you know, if you're a staker today and you want to go into Stride, well, what do, what do you do at, you know, at this moment? You basically, um, you basically unbond, move the tokens to Stride, and then, and then give them to Stride, bond, and Stride bonds them for you, like restakes them back in, you know, they move them back to the hub and stake them, and then they issue your share. Uh, so you need to, you know, you need to unbond in order to get into the system. Uh, and people are doing this, like Stride has incentives on Osmo pools, like there's a lot of Atom in there, like that is still happening no matter what. Um, 
the LSM module basically allows you to do something very similar, except you do it immediately. And th this like direct interconvertibility means that um, there, you, you know, people aren't going to get wrecked or less likely to get wrecked because of the, um, you know, the liquid state uh, version of the asset running away from, from the underlying. Um, yeah, so, uh, but the, you know, the other thing to, to kind of understand is that the, I mean, stride is basically cutting your assets for you in, in both cases, um, you know, whether you're using the LSM or not. Um, stride is acting as kind of a decentralized custodian that's then pooling and issuing these shares. And, um, and the end game here is like, if you're going to own liquid staked assets, you're like the primary entities that are going to be directly staking are the liquid staking protocols. So like there's actually going to be way fewer stakers because you're going to become a user of Stride or a user of Lido or a user of Quicksilver, not a user of the Cosmos Hub directly. So you're you're being kind of intermediated. Right, yeah, and that, and that makes a ton of sense. And uh, I like the focus on, uh, you know, keeping effort on, on the staked derivative asset, uh, staying one-to-one -one with the underlying asset, right? You know, uh, while that's never really a problem in the in the up-only bull market environment is the past, you know, six, 12 months have shown us, you know, when the market does turn down and liquidity, uh, you know, we start to see a liquidity crunch, you know, people are willing to pay a premium uh, to get that liquidity and have the instant solvency. So love to see the focus there. Uh, and just to kind of like recap on, you know, what we've talked about so far, right? So uh, interchain security is, uh, you know, the grants the ability for consumer chains uh, to lease security from producer chains, uh, which really unlocks the scalability of the Cosmos ecosystem. And we plan to see that live uh, sometime in Q1 2023. Uh, and then liquid staking, of course, as we just discussed, really, uh, you know, unlocks, you know, what Atom can be. And, and it's kind of inevitable. And, and the, you know, the hub has uh, an obligation, right, to make sure that the security assumptions of its chain uh, stay in line with, with the, uh, the current strong security assumptions today. Uh, and then, you know, as we discussed, we have that economic engine with the scheduler and the allocator that helps scale the Cosmos hub with the growth of the broader ecosystem. Um, but lastly, you know, one thing we haven't really touched on yet is the revamped Atom monetary policy uh, and the idea to kind of like push Atom towards being a reserve currency of the interchain. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a lot to unpack even within this one topic. Uh, we kind of hit on earlier, one of the bigger contention points was, well, you know, we need to fund these, these ideas we have, right? Uh, and a lot of that would come through like the community pool. So do you want to talk about how, you know, there was some contention around making a one-time mint uh, into the community pool, as well as the creation of the treasury uh, and, and the tax that goes along with the both, of, both of those. I'd love to hear you dive in deeper there. Yeah, sure, I can take this one. Um, so basically the, the idea, the general idea uh, for uh, the new issuance policy uh, there was there were two items. So the first one was uh, to be able to fund uh, the treasury, uh, and then once the treasury is funded, uh, you can work on on the you can bootstrap uh, ICS interchange security, and then you can also fund the 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 allocator and uh, and the scheduler. So that's the first uh, item, the first objective of the new issuance regime, and then the second item. Uh, was basically to move uh, from uh, 
almost a hyper uh, inflationary atom to uh, almost zero inflation atom if everything was going uh, according to plan so to the plan so the the there was two um, steps so the first step uh, was about uh, increasing like have a, a one time uh, pump of the of the of the minting to from the treasury and then uh, progressively uh, reduce the the emissions uh, and that was mainly because of uh, liquid staking because with liquid staking what's going to happen is that the staking staking ratio is naturally going to trend toward 100% possibly like 55% and 95% sorry uh, and then when, once you have that there is uh, basically no more need uh, for for inflation because in the current system how it works is that we have a target of two-thirds of staking ratio uh, staked atom uh, and so when that ratio of two-thirds uh, goes up uh, closer to 100% then the the, the, the staking uh, rewards go down and and vice versa and so with liquid staking there is uh, there won't be any more that need um, and so uh, the security subsidy uh, basically uh, we won't need it anymore uh, if we assume that liquid staking is taking that rate uh, closer to 100% so the, those were the the two main components uh, and reasons behind uh, the change of uh, of issues. Yeah, in in speaking to validators, um, you know, I think they were rightfully like hesitant about making a monetary policy change that uh, it's going to impact their bottom line. Um, again, I I think that there's there was a kind of slow motion education process that, that happened like uh, after the, the paper was released and the proposal went up. Um, I mean, one of the rationale, about, and, and to be clear, like the, the paper actually excluded some of the monetary policy changes like after some of these discussions that we had. Not to say that we don't think that it's kind of where we want to go eventually, but just like, okay, we'll hold off from this conversation until people you know, feel more comfortable and, and um, you know, we, we have kind of more direct evidence. But the, the rationale is basically like, okay, well, today, where does your staking yield come from? Well, it, it's actually a value transfer from unstaked assets to staked assets. Like that's, that, that's where money is, is coming from. So basically the people who are unstaked are using the assets in the ecosystem and they're basically saying, okay, I can get a, I think that I can get a higher yield for this um, free atom than I can on the bonded atom. Liquid staking eliminates this competition between the, the unstaked, you know, yield seeking and the staked asset because you can do both. You can now seek yield and accrue staking yield. And so the expectation is that the, the bonding ratio is gonna, is gonna dramatically increase. I mean, theoretically it should go to 100%. I, I don't know that it necessarily, necessarily will get to that stage, but um, it should in increase dramatically. And if you're 
if you're close to 100%, like, even if you have a, let's say that you, you have a, whatever it is, like 15% inflation rate, well, there are no, there's nobody unstaked, you know, the value transfer that was happening previously, like, doesn't exist anymore. So, like, what, what are you actually doing? The, you're basically just inflating the monetary space. So you're paying yourself. You're, you, it's kind of like a stock split. Like you're just, you know, you, you have the same amount of value, but you're just re-denominating what you have already. So that doesn't make any sense really. And so you, you should allow yourself to just cap the supply at that, at that point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious, this is like a really ambitious roadmap and I like a lot of what you're doing within it, but is there like at all a timeline that you expect for all this stuff to get implemented? I know it's a pretty fluid situation, but I'm sure a lot of people are wondering what the timeline looks like. Well, um, I mean, the, the veto definitely like throws a wrench in some of this. Like we, there are teams i mean the informal team is really interested in the scheduler and i've talked to other teams who like want to build you know now that they've seen it they actually want to build something similar like you know so and i i've actually had conversations with other teams that want to build basically build the allocator that you know the the ideas are sound or like at least you know there's there's interest in developing them um but i don't think there's kind of like uh, a fully, you know, we don't have like full consent from the, the Cosmos Hub community at, at this stage that these can be deployed. So I think it's, you know, the, the funding is going to happen first. Um, I would hope that some of that can be, um, can be kind of split off to at least, um, you know, continue a research process um, or kind of early experiment for, for both of those, um, the work streams. Um, but it's, it's very challenging to, to give projections, you know, w without, without that consent. Right. Yeah. And also what might happen is that we end up, uh, implementing some aspects, um, of the white paper, uh, and not others. So, if we uh, decide to to take the the route of slicing everything, and I think there is some consensus around that, uh, then you know it's possible that one product uh, like the allocator uh, gets accepted by the community, and then the scheduler, for example, could be not accepted by the community. And so, so that's the the, the first element. And then, obviously, uh, it's all gonna. Uh, uh, delay the the implementation because at at every uh, stage uh, we, we need governance to uh, to step in and uh, and, uh, and and decide so that that makes it you know that gives that's another uh, variable that we we do not have uh, control over interchain security and and liquid staking are you know kind of on the immediate horizon and um, there's like the, they have a kind of intertwined go to market that does need to be capitalized. And so that's kind of why the community pool community spend is, um, is the priority at this stage. 
Right, and and I guess the last piece that that really uh, encapsulates what Atom 2.0 is is um, you know the 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 Cosmos assembly, right? Where uh, they, there's an assembly governance structure that is made up of, of smaller councils, uh, similar to like a, a meta metadata structure that we see uh, in some other DeFi protocols on Ethereum, um, and so. I want to talk a little bit about that, and, and as well as the, the, the charter itself that kind of like outlines exactly what this is. Is there still a plan to push forward on the Cosmos charter and, and kind of uh, you know, ratify uh, some of these, these more uh, governance-related decisions? I don't, uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure about the, the charter uh, because the charter was you know, deeply linked to Atom 2.0, uh, but we need, I think, further further discussion uh, around the charter. I don't know, Sam, if you want to add something on the charter itself. I, I still think it's a good idea and it likely should happen. Um, I mean, I've already been in touch with consumer chains that like kind of want some, you know, more social contract about the relationship between the consumer chain and the, and the um, provider. So um, I, I do think that there's that should continue regardless, um, but it's it's going to need to be kind of revisited, um, and it's not the, the first priority at this stage. <clears throat> as far as this, the kind of notion of like the councils and SOs, um, I, uh, I mean, I also, I still kind of stand behind the like general design. I mean, I've worked with Hypa quite a bit to like develop that. Um, the plan now is to, to expand the community pool. I think it's going to become apparent pretty quickly that the community pool is not, uh, equipped to allocate, uh, you know, yearly budgets in, in an effective way. And so there will need to be additional kind of controls put in place. And once you end up doing that, you just get something that looks like the assembly council system. Like maybe you're calling it something else, but like you're gonna end up arriving at, at kind of the same conclusion. Um, so uh, just by the nature of like electing to go down this path of like, okay, the the hub needs to be allocating capital in some way, either to consumer chains or or various kind of strategic initiatives. Like now you need to increase the the amount of atom that's able to be capitalized. Well now you need a, a kind of control system in order to do that. And so yeah like you're gonna you're gonna get to something very very similar yeah i think it's a fair statement to make that no one in crypto has cracked the the nut of governance so i uh i praise you guys for actually trying to implement something new but uh, we've already taken up about an hour of your guys's time so i want to let you go but thank you guys so much for coming on uh hopefully we can do it sometime again in the future thank you very much guys all right it's quite a bit to unpack there dan but that was a a good a good interview and uh, i'm excited to get your thoughts but uh first can you give us a quick little rundown of of kind of the atom 2.0 white paper just to s summarize it for the listeners yeah if we can just like I guess repackage basically that whole conversation into a couple sentences, right? So, you know, there was like four key areas within the Atom 2.0 proposal. We had interchain security, liquid staking, uh, 
the economic or growth engine uh, and the revamped monetary policy. Uh, so if you look at each of those individually, right? So we had interchange security slated to go live uh, in Q1 of 2023, so just a couple months away. Uh, there's 10 chains lined up to be users or consumers of interchange security. Uh, seven are like independent team projects and three uh, are more central to the Cosmos hub, right? So we have the, the scheduler, the allocator, uh, and then also the rumored circle chain uh, will be a user of interchange security. Uh, and so that's really like the, the scalability feature for the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, you know, the, one of the hardest barriers to entry of launching a new consumer or a new Cosmos ecosystem chain is building a reliable uh, and, uh, and consistent and secure validator set. That's just like the hardest building block, uh, but it does a lot, uh, create a bunch of option, optionality. Uh, you know, we've seen chains like ThorChain or Osmosis uh, create unique uh, uh, structures based on the, uh, being able to like remodel their validator sets. Uh, so being able to still have the, the functionality without the, the lift of like building these more complex uh, groups of, of individuals and users uh, should increase the number of chains we see. Uh, and, and that's a huge unlock because that kind of, if we feed into the growth engine piece of this, more chains creates more MEV opportunities, uh, which is like the, my personal most interesting uh, innovation within Atom 2.0. Right, so this, this scheduler that creates like a, a marketplace for tokenized block space uh, is super, super interesting. And as somebody who's like not a huge bull for PFP NFTs, this is actually a very, very interesting use case of NFTs, right? So if we think about what blocks, like each block is different than the, the, one, in for, the one preceding it and the one coming after it. So if we have all these different blocks, we need something that represents them that's non, they're non-fungible, right? So NFTs or non-fungible tokens are a perfect way to say, hey, you have the rights to ordering block number 2004, and that's different than the, or, ordering the, or, uh, the transactions in block 2005 and so on. Uh, so really excited to like see the evolution uh, of NFT technology be used in this, but uh, more importantly, like this is a great way to be generating revenue for the Cosmos Hub. Uh, and also providing like a service to the broader interchain ecosystem. Uh, and the allocator kind of falls right along these lines as well, right? So, you know, we see like the allocator coming in and building partnerships with new chains and helping bring them liquidity and kind of like furthering Atom as like this reserve currency of the ecosystem. Uh, of course, an issue with the allocator is they need to have like um, smaller teams like councils that would sit on and be like the allocator DAOs that like uh, help pick which teams to project with and how that benefits the, the chain uh, the best. And, and that's kind of one of these big issues that you know, we still see we, we're very far away from solving. Uh, even you know, hearing Sam talk about the charter and, and Yusuf being like, yeah, we don't really know if that's like something we're gonna continue to pursue for now. Um, that, 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 that brings me some questions around whether or not uh, this, the speed at which the allocator will be implemented. Um, so moving on to liquid staking, you know, this one, I think when you, you, know, you break up this proposal and start trying to pass each piece individually, I personally think there's going to be a ton of pushback on liquid staking, uh, and it goes to exactly what Sam said. Um, you know, he mentioned you know, when liquid staking becomes very prominent, that's going to ultimately hurt the bottom line of validators. And so you know, as a group of the community members that has a ton of uh, stake in, in the chain, it's very hard to pass things without their approval. Um, but liquid staking, liquid staking is definitely inevitable. We've already seen the immense uh, popularity on Ethereum. That's sort of like normalized it. I think that's going to come with strength into uh, the Cosmos ecosystem as well. Uh, so I'll, his, the creation of like the LSM module that will basically 
you know, go around the, the unbonding period to help keep a one-to-one -one peg uh, with the staked asset and the underlying asset, I think is a great innovation. Um, you know, biggest concern is I think like just broader education around what that means for the risk assumptions of a Tendermint proof of stake blockchain. Uh, so, you know, I think there's like a huge education period that needs to go on uh, before it, liquid staking really is gonna uh, get validator approval. Uh, and then lastly, on the revamp monetary, monetary policy, the big takeaway is building these new innovations like the scheduler and the allocator takes funding. Uh, and right now, the, the Atom community pool is quite small. Uh, and every new piece of uh, approved funding has to essentially go through uh, full community governance approval, which as we've seen is not always like super efficient, right? Like we got a no with veto vote here. Uh, you know, ever since Prop 69 with the we've kind of seen like the normalcy of using no with veto to uh, you know vote against or filibust as Sam mentioned and it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward right like I don't know it, they want to break up this proposal into like you know a couple of different pieces which I think is the right way to do it that way you can like pass the things that everybody wants passed and you know discuss and innovate on the things that don't uh, or that are causing contention but you know all in all I think my biggest takeaway from this is it was pretty disheartening to see it not pass. I, I was pretty bullish on the idea of it passing um, personally because the Atom, like the Cosmos Hub needs a direction, right? It's just like this early piece of infrastructure uh, that funded so much of the success that we see within the uh, interchain ecosystem. Yet now it's like stalled out. It needs a new vision. It needs direction. Um, and now is the perfect time to be building. So I don't know. Uh, what's your take on this? Love to see you try to like poke holes in, in some of the, the thought process around 2.0. Yeah, I can give you some of my low IQ takes. Um, I, I guess I'm just a little bit concerned about the change in monetary policy, like I see on crypto Twitter. I know there's some good rebuttals to that, but I guess I just am still trying to understand how the high initial inflation and then eventual move to near zero inflation will change validator incentives, like you mentioned. Um, I really don't love how there's not great timelines around this entire proposal. I feel like they really need a concrete roadmap, and I know there's a lot of stuff underneath the hood that needs to go on, both in R&D and implementation. So I would just love some more concrete dates. Uh, I know interchain security is kind of a core pillar of the economic engine actually running, um, and there's really no guarantee it sees adoption. So that's kind of a worrying factor. You'd think it would be because it makes it so much easier to spin up a chain, but uh, you know it still remains to be seen. Uh, and I think the number one takeaway for me is actually just the, the struggles in decentralized governance. Like we see this with the Prop 82 not even passing. And, you know, for the allocator to work, we really need like competent governance and efficient governance, not just one token, one vote. Like clearly that model doesn't work incredibly well. Uh, I also think creating a futures market for block space demand is a really cool and novel idea, but it's also still just an idea. Uh, implementing that's going to be pretty tough. Um, but if they can, and, you know, they've, they've implemented technologies that are used throughout the crypto space today uh, by other projects. So if, if there's a team that can do it, I think it's the Cosmos core team. Um, but, yeah, those are kind of just some of my concerns, and I'm sure there's good rebuttals to everything I just said. But uh, just off the surface, that's definitely my main takeaways. I agree. I mean, the timeline thing is probably the biggest concern here, right? Like, we're in the depths of a bear market, and now is the time that you'd want to see a project uh, have a solid plan and just be like building in a direction. It feels like the Cosmos Hub is this great group of community and intelligence, uh, but like the aim of the community is still so broad. If we could really like narrow that in, which again was what this proposal tried to do, uh, you know, I feel like it just needs to like get a kickstart in the right direction and, and start grinding away. Um, and then on the inflationary piece, you know, 
the the reason why it was so uh, uh, inflationary up front is because a lot of that funding went to the treasury and the community pool. Uh, so that's why like it looked like this massive inflation. But in reality, uh, like how those tokens would be distributed, I, I don't think it would have like this huge negative effect that you would uh, if you just like minted tokens and, you know, uh, let's say you just distributed them to stakers for like a one time reward or whatever. And just as an example, you know, that would be a ton of sell pressure. Right. But if I'm uh, using these tokens to fund the creation of new chains and like uh, you know these tokens get like used as salaries for developers I think that'd be like a much slower bleed in terms of like true inflation effects um, plus you're also like funding the creation uh, of new uh, pieces in, in in your ecosystem so like I feel like it's a net benefit but it is definitely like when you look at that that, that chart up front it's like okay it's a little alarming seeing this massive spike in inflation um, but you know if that if that's like enables us to beef up interchain security and allow the revenue from that to offset the ultimately decreasing inflation, you know, then I feel like it's like a, uh, like a situation where you have to pay a little upfront to get to a steadier state in the long run. Yeah, strong agree there. I definitely think, you know, if there's a team that can do it, it's a Cosmos team. They're one of the few teams working on kind of like an ecosystem architecture that's actually like really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, time will tell. But uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it, unless you got anything else, Dan. Uh, I think this like closing notes for me would be: I thought it was really interesting that they the charter kind of just got not thrown to the wind, but definitely put on the back burner, right? So because of the no with veto vote, it's like okay, well, let's take this one at a time, and like in what order do we act now? And it just feels like the revamped governance will get put on the back burner, uh, which is a little disheartening, right? Like you know, you mentioned it earlier that one to one token one vote model is definitely not perfect um and even in the interview you know we, we, we discussed that it's like the golden bullet hasn't been found yet right so uh would love to see more innovation on this and uh, it would have been nice to see like the charter kind of getting pushed in a direction and like just more discussion around what uh, protocol governance should look like but you know time will tell couldn't agree more all right everyone we'll see you next week on uh the next episode of zero x research thanks for tuning in